SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. on the East Coast, the 24th of January, letter F, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, just the two of us today. Lots happening. I'll say this, and then we'll get into the markets. You know, the Rangers finished their road trip in San Jose last night, got off to a two-zip start, lost in overtime to the worst team in the league, OMG. But there's more OMG in the market. Let's take a look at the rundown, Dan, because we're going to break some stuff down. Netflix, is this an island reversal, possibly or an epic breakout? We're going to compare a couple things to try to give you the answer. Tesla preview, we're going to learn how to calculate implied moves. And if it's Wednesday, it's why not ask us questions Wednesday? I just made that up yeah, you on did. the fly. Yeah, I did. How are you? I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, it's funny. When we were walking, uh, we we're taking our makeup off after CNBC's Fast Money last night in the green room. Yeah, believe it or not, people, Guy Adami doesn't just have that gorgeous look on his skin. Uh, you know, when he's on the TV, he wears a little makeup. So we're taking that off. And you and Tim Seymour, you guys got into a more spirited debate about the Rangers, this kind of road trip they've been on, than anything that we talked about during the show in the prior hour. Um, and I know that you guys were not hoping you're going to have the outcome that you had last night. So that is um, a bit of a bummer. Um, I'm sorry I got to miss the end of that conversation. No, you're not sorry. I mean, I, if you were so you ran out of there, you sprinted I, out, you left, I, you left skid marks. So you were not I, at yeah, all. I did. And it's I funny. Did. I mean, we we can Tim and I can really empty a room when we start to talk about that stuff. But that's for another top conversation. Yeah. I mean, the story of the day clearly, um, clearly is Netflix. And we might as well sort of throw up our first chart because we've created this gap to the upside and it's going to last I looked, I think we've traded about five times normal volume on the fly. Amanda can probably pull up a chart with volume, but it's going to trade today probably about 10 times normal volume. Now I want to be um, quick to point out, this is not an all time high in Netflix. This is a recent high. This is a 52 week high. But we've obviously seen the stock um, higher than this a few years ago. Not that that's at all important. I just want to point it out. But for the conversation we're about to have, I wanted to point out that today's open creates an island. In other words, this is this little standalone level of activity significantly higher than the prior day's close. That's important. It means nothing in the context of, you know, is it going higher or lower? You sort of have to sort of play that game on your own. I would submit, Dan, and we can sort of pull up the graphics that explain this. We are looking at the potential for an island reversal. Now, the, the flip side of that is, or is it an epic breakout? And I guess that's what the folks at home and the people trading this have to decide. But here we are, and we've sort of outlined it, and we've put a bit of an explainer there. Yeah. And I think that's worthy of a conversation for at least a couple minutes. Well, let's do it. Um, so here's what I would say. Okay, so yesterday the stock went out, you know, at what, 490 or something like that, right? The opening tick this morning was 536, all right? And you see, let's go back to, like, let's say, the two-day chart here, and you can see the range of just the activity today, right? And so you have this huge gap, right? And so 
been a little volatile. It never really even tested that opening tick again, right, guys? So you've seen, you know, buying that could be shorts that are covering, mm-hmm. it could be mm-hmm. longs that are reevaluating the story and adding to it. And so when I think about this, it's like you just mentioned the volume. Okay, so the volume is is basically confirming this move um, to some degree. If it was a, a low volume breakout to a new 52-week high, I'd say, okay, you also mentioned something I think is interesting. Let's pull up a three-year chart or a five-year chart, whatever you want to do, going back to the prior highs. You know, this $500 level was really important. It was a huge breakdown level uh, in 2022, um, right? So if you think about that, right? And so you see, so we're back, you know, above that level. Now, those are just the technicals. And so those are some of the internals and the like here, okay? So now let's think about the fundamentals. What did this company do that caused that breakout? They basically said they had $4 million greater than expected subscribers on a $9 million estimate that the company had guided to, that the street, the analysts that cover it, investors that cover the stock had gotten comfortable with, 9 million subscribers were going to be added in the quarter. They did 13, okay? And so when you think about that, like that is pretty impressive. And the guidance that they gave going forward confirms that some of the shifts that they have made towards this ad-supported model, right, are working out. So then I look at this thing, guy, and I say to myself, okay, on fiscal... 2024, it's trading about 33 times expected EPS growth on a gap basis of 38% on an adjusted basis of 33%. And then on sales growth expected to be 14%, 12% expected next year sales growth. Okay. 24% expected EPS growth next year. Okay. So I say to myself, this stock trading 27 times next year and 33 times this year on that expected growth with that sort of secular shift, it's kind of reasonable here, all right? So so now let's bring it all the way back to what your point was. Is it a island reversal potential or is this the start of an epic breakout? Then you want to marry the fundamentals, the sentiment, right? And then the technicals. And I'd say this stock is very likely going to be establishing a new range above $500 as long as the market stays in here and as long as some of the mega cap tech peers remain expensive relative to the growth that this company is displaying. How's that for a little combo? There? No, I think it's a great explainer without question. And, you know, we have been saying for quite some time, look, I want to be crystal clear. The last couple of shows when we've talked about Netflix, you know, I thought into earnings, it was probably prudent to pull the ripcord and to take profits. As a matter of fact, I said yesterday that we might be coming in here tomorrow with stock trading 525 or so, and I'm going to do an mea culpa. But with that said, the I think the responsible thing to do in the earnings was probably take profits. Obviously, it was also the incorrect thing to do. But the question you have to ask now is, what's next? And you know, you mentioned we could spend a period of time above this without question. We're going to trade probably, I would imagine, 40 million shares today. We've already traded 20. So maybe it'll be a shy light of that, but it'll be close to 10 times normal volume. And then you have to start playing the game. Now, yes, there's a potential for an hour reversal, but guess what? And you know, we had this conversation prior to the show. NVIDIA, you had the same type of setup in the spring of last year, and that's never come to fruition. That stock has, that stock has had an epic breakout to the upside. And if you want to pull up an NVIDIA chart, we can sort of look at it. So, you know, you can have an iron reversal setup and it can continue to go higher. Uh, the NVIDIA chart, you can see that gap there back in May or June mm-hmm. of last year where you had that obviously island created. But you know what? It's never looked back. So, That's what makes a market, and that's why sometimes trading can be so difficult. 
Yeah, and I guess that's why the idea of marrying these technical setups and sentiment with the fundamentals are really important. And, you know, we made the case on many occasions last year, Guy, that once that initial gap was done, you know, that stock had traded, uh, you know, in between 400 and 500 on numerous occasions. So it became a really good trading stock, okay? Like, you know, and, and again, buying the dips, um, you know, based on the fundamental setup, because the fundamentals were there. And if you were willing to buy into it every time it dipped 15 or so percent, you got rewarded. And then that tension that had been building right up until just a few weeks ago, if they want to pull that chart back up again, if you believe that this was a story that was going to continue to work this year and the fundamentals made the stock actually look cheaper, then look at the breakout. When we went through 500 and we detailed it on this show, we talked about as a way to play a breakout, just looking at some near dated calls, they look dollar cheap to me relative to the, I think the tension that was, I think that was three. I want to say it was three Fridays or so yeah, ago. At four ninety. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, 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 so look at that move now. Now, do I want to be chasing that here? No, by, by no means, but let's go back now to the Netflix chart. So something changed, right? The company was able to put up a big subscriber beat. They guided higher. The stock is relatively cheap. And so what I would be doing here is like, so your point is if we were to go back in and go back towards the lows of today, let's go to a two-day chart now, okay? If we were to go back towards those lows, then you might look to press this thing and say it might fill in that gap right? It might just be like as good as it gets and everyone who's long is long and they may be looking to take profits. So if it started to fill in that gap, but I'll tell you this, man, a lot of folks are going to come back in and try to buy this stock at $500. Okay. So, so it really depends what your time frame is and, and how you think about trading stocks like this and whether you missed it and you're looking for an opportunity to get back in. Cause I'd say if it were to fill in that gap, you'd want to be buying it, especially if Fair it's a broad market thing. So now here's the flip side of that coin. And, and you, everything you just said is spot on. And by the way, you know, if you were waiting for the island reversal to fill or be created in NVIDIA, you're still sitting around waiting some, you know, 120 or so dollars later. But let's just play it out a little bit. If in fact, for whatever reason, and this stock is probably going to trade sideways for the balance of the day-ish, if we were to open below, let's call it 530 tomorrow, then you've created that sort of island reversal. Now, a lot has to happen. I have no idea what the circumstances would be. And by the way, that could happen over a period of time as well, where we go sideways. And again, if you have a gap open lower, that creates that island. And that's something you have to be on the lookout for. But I'll be first to say, you know, I thought there was that potential in NVIDIA last spring, and that obviously didn't come to fruition. But we want to point that out because you rarely get setups like this. And it's important to sort of, I think, talk through what potentially could happen and then illustrate what has happened in the past and what potentially happened here. Yeah, and I, I listen, and again, it goes, who are you? And Carter says this all the time. Who are you in the markets? Are you a trader? Are you an investor? Because to me, if that does start to try to fill in you know, that gap, it sets up as a really good near-term short and trying to play for that sort of momentum lower. But then if you're a longer to intermediate term sort of investor, it might give you the opportunity to kind of buy it on that gap fill. Who knows? Let's go back to NVIDIA here really quickly, Guy, because I know we talk about NVIDIA nearly every day. But this is now a one and a half trillion dollar market cap company. This stock today is up four and a half percent. Okay, so do the math on that. Okay, it's up seventy billion dollars in market cap for shits and giggles. 
for no other reason than it's one of its competitors, a much smaller competitor, AMD, was upgraded somewhere. Mm -hmm. Texas Instruments, which does not play in their space by any means, is down a couple percent today after a disappointing um, you know, result and guide. It just seems that investors keep crowding into the things that they most love in this market. And the other one I would just mention is that Microsoft, there was a headline today that it, it ticked $3 trillion in market cap for the first time, also helping to make that point. You and I, again, are looking at this sort of behavior and we're saying to ourselves, you know, investors are, are really kind of losing their minds right here because we're kind of getting, we're getting a little over our skis. Is that an expression that you like to use every once in a while? I know you're not much of a skier, um, but is that something that, that makes them, we're getting a little too euphoric here. Well, I learned how to ski when I was 31. So that was roughly 30 or so years ago. And I actually can make my way down a mountain, but I'm not the black diamond type. It should come as no surprise. With that said, yes, is to answer your question. But, you know, I thought that for quite some time that with each passing day, you know, the market seems to get a little more sort of, I don't know, ebullient to use a word or just sort of uh, excited about potential of things to happen. And I totally get it. Now, listen, you know, you look at NVIDIA here and you go back to the lows. By the way, there was a period of time where you couldn't give the stock away. It's just interesting how quickly things have changed over the last couple of years. But, you know, you're in this uptrend. I mean, you could trade down to the moving average and still be in an uptrend. Nobody would be particularly happy about that. But there is that potential to happen. And again, I don't know what the set of circumstances are that would sort of set that in motion. Obviously, China, Taiwan being out there is still one of them. Although with each passing day, people think it's less and less likely. Yeah. I'm not as sure of that because, again, the rhetoric seems to continue to be ratcheted up. But we'll see. There's a lot, obviously, on the back of that. But, you know, the stock seems to rally. And Melissa Lee made this point on the show a couple of times. And you said this. When things rally on the same news over and over again, that's a bit problematic. And I think to a certain extent, that's what we're seeing here. Yeah, it does set itself up for a bit of a disaster on just the, you know, uh, on the slightest bit of bad news. I'll just say this about skiing. I also uh, learned to ski late in life. I was probably 27, 28. And I was flipping around last night on the TV. I was watching Syracuse play uh, Florida State and they were kind of getting blown out. So I started flipping around guy and, and an old episode of The Office came on and there was a really funny scene where... Um, where Will Ferrell meets um, a character, Steve Carell's character, they happen to meet, okay? And this is the first time, and these are two classic, I mean, two of the best comedic actors of our lifetime, right? And 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 one of them says something about skiing, and the other says, well, I don't, everybody I know who skis is dead, uh, which I thought was a really funny comment. So um, you're going to be, you're going to be troubled by this, but yeah. it will come as no surprise. I've never seen The Office. The Office. I, yeah, but you you must be a fan of Steve Carell and Will Ferrell, two of the most. Uh, you know, I, I will tell you, in Anchorman, those two together in Anchor. I mean, it was just laugh but you, out loud. You know, you, know I, you know what I love about them? You can tell in this scene, and if you go to the YouTube and you find this, I know Jacob's all over this. You know, th these two guys are totally ad libbing the whole thing. They are literally just riffing. And just by the way, Will Ferrell's character's name was D'Angelo Jeremitis Vickers. Just. For shits and giggles you know, you know what i mean so pretty funny stuff there um and it wasn't funny because when i when i started watching the syracuse uh florida state game syracuse was up at home by six and they ended up losing by 20 it was a, a bit of a bloodbath there you know uh, listen nobody wants to hear us opine about college basketball sure but they do. The, the meaninglessness of a regular season college bass you know, you know they've taken all the joy out of that really? and yeah it's just a sport you watch for the tournament now there's no 
there's no interest really. I, I don't know. Maybe it's I, just listen, I like to see how, how players develop over the course of a season and, and how certain strategies, you know, Syracuse has a new coach, a friend of mine, uh, you know, they've gone away from that, that, that famed two, three zone mm. that, that Jim Beheim did for 40 years guy. And now they're doing a lot more man to man. I mean, whatever, we'll save that for another show. All right, let's let, this is actually, I think a really important sort of like kind of teaching moment a little bit. People hear us talk all the time about implied moves, right? In, in single stocks before earnings. And, and let's talk a little bit about why this is important, right? Expectations. We talk about all the time, sentiment and in, in individual names, really important. Why do we talk about annals upgrades and downgrades and what percentage of them have buy ratings versus holds and sell. It just, it, it works into a mosaic about sentiment into, especially a, a, about, you know, into a print, right? And, and why do you have a move? Netflix doesn't normally move on a daily basis, two or 3%. Why is it up 12%? Because obviously investors didn't think that they were able to report the results that they did and guide the way they did. So it surprised the upside. So an implied move that we can figure out using options is helpful to get a sense for where dealers think the risk is in a story, right? So if the implied move is much greater than it normally is for a one-day movement of a stock into earnings, then you would say that the uncertainty is much greater. And if the implied move is low, then you'd say that investors seem to be fairly comfortable with what expectations are, right? So right now, Tesla reports after the close tonight. The implied move is about 7% in either direction. And I want to tell you how to figure that out. But what's really important is that that implied movement is less than the average over the last three quarters. The stock has declined on average about nine and a quarter percent over the last three quarters. Now, one of the reasons you could say, well, why only 7%? Well, the stock's just sold off. 21%. So you can say that expectations have come down dramatically. So let's just say the stock's trading at 212 and a half right now. And that's the at the money strike in the options. If I were looked at the weekly options that expire on Friday afternoon, if I took the at the money call and I took the at the money put and I put those two premiums together, they should be about the same with the stock at that strike level. Okay. It's about $15. I take that $15 in premium. I divide by the strike price of 212 and a half and it gets you about 7%. All right, so $15 is the straddle. If you were looking at Tesla and say, I don't know which direction the stock's going to move, but it's going to move one way or another, and I think it could move easily $15 higher or lower, then I'd be a buyer of the straddle. If I didn't think it could move that, I would maybe sell that straddle. Now, we don't kind of, we're not in the business of selling naked options one way or another, but that's the way, the back of the envelope sort of way you could quickly figure out implied moves into earnings. Guy, does that make some sense? The way I've kind of outlined why you might want to care about what the implied movement is into an earnings. 100%. It gives you an understanding as to what the market's looking for. It also helps you to understand, you take where the stock is trading at, right? 212 and a half. You look at the straddle for that period of time, and it gives you a pretty good understanding yep. as to what the what the p- potential percentage moves are. And so when you hear people talk about it, at least you have context to understand what it's all about. And now one of the reasons why the implied move in terms of percentages is lower, you know, it's a more mature company. With each obviously passing quarter, it becomes more mature. People understand a little bit better what's in the numbers, what are people looking for type of thing. So by definition, you would think that the implied move should come down over time. And to your point, you know, the stock has also been under pressure a great deal. So that mitigates it a a bit as well. Now, the next question is, you know, what do you think is going to happen here? And I think both you and I have said 
given the move, pressing a short position is probably not the right thing to do. But you know what? I thought staying with the long position and the Netflix was the wrong thing to do as well. So the market has a way of humbling you. But you've brought this point up and I've talked about it a number of times. When fundamentals have mattered in this stock, they haven't mattered in terms of the price action to the upside. That's given people an opportunity to sell it. And quite frankly, we're pretty important support as you see through this trend line right here. Yeah, all great points, Guy. And I'll just say this. Maybe they can flash up this this note from Morgan Stanley. Um, This was um, Adam Jonas, uh, you know, influential auto analyst. He put a $400 price target a few months ago on this stock. And he was talking about all the things that aren't cars, you know what I mean? Like that, that was getting him exciting AI and robots and full self-driving and all this other stuff. And, you know, it's interesting the way he's phrasing this is that, you know, mark to market, he wants to kind of check his estimates and he wants to mark them lower right now. Okay. Because he's seeing weakness in EVs and uh, all over and, and a whole host of things. You can get the, the, the sense from that note here, but let's go back to the chart now. Okay. And let's go to the one with the, the support line that's in the market. You know what I mean? Like that, like, like that is in the market that investors are worried about the quarter they're going to report. We already have their deliveries for Q4, which basically came in in line. And now the question is, is profitability going to be lower than people expect? Are deliveries for the current year going to be less than people expect and have built into their models? And then you say to yourself, okay, well, if they're going to materially guide lower, then this stock has the potential to go much lower. Now, going back to that straddle guy, if the at the money call in the weekly is seven and a half dollars or so, the at the money put is seven and a half dollars or so, that means if you want to express a defined risk, okay, directional view by buying a call or a put and the at the money, then you're just risking three and a half percent and think about how much the stock moves. So if you have conviction, if I didn't know this stock, and I didn't know this story. And I said, I think that they're going to actually report better than expected. I might risk seven and a half dollars right there playing for a move back towards that 200 day moving average or so. And, you know, I mean, like, like to me, that would make some sense. And the flip side, let's say I've been long this stock for an awful long time. This is a stock that was trading about a year and a half ago at a hundred bucks. And, you know, the stock's at 212 and a half or so. I might say, you know what? Maybe at the money puts our cheap protection into the print because if they do materially guide down, the stock has the potential to go to 175 bucks or so. Yeah. In layman's terms, you, you, instead of playing two numbers on the roulette wheel by doing both the put and the call, yeah. you're only playing one. And yeah. because you have conviction that that number, whatever that number is, is going to come out. Now, obviously, it's not as scientific or whatever, but you understand my point. And you're saying, you know what? I don't need to buy the straddle for 15 because I'm convinced that the stock is going to plummet after earnings. So I'll just play it one side. So obviously my cost is half as much. So that's how you have to be thinking. But again, none of that matters. This is just an illustration as to how you figure that out and then how you could sort of overlay it into some of the ideas you may have going forward. Yeah. No. And and again, I, you know, I'm going to be really frank. Um, I don't have a strong view on the stock right here. I'm fairly well convinced that Elon Musk is going to sound very downbeat about the economy, that he's going to feel very downbeat about um, just the interest rate environment and what the Fed, you know, should or should not be doing. That's a theme that he has been very consistent on. Um, If he's truly honest, he will talk about some of the competitive reasons that I think are weighing on, you know, margins um, for him and his company specifically. 
even with GM and Ford and some of the big automakers pulling back, you think that initially that might be good for them? Well, it might not be. We might just have hit peak EVs for this cycle. And, you know, the other thing I'll just mention is that this company has been cutting prices aggressively on their cars because of weak demand. But we haven't even had a recession yet. Can you imagine if these cars are so much more expensive, right, than, let's say, ICE, you know, you know, like, you know, internal combustion uh, engines, then what's going to happen if we do have a recession, right? And and in a recession, the price of oil is likely to be a lot lower than where it is right now. So there might not be greater demand for that. So I just don't see anything good coming out of this. The only thing that I can see the stock popping on is that the guidance is not as bad as people expect right now. Or, or some, or somehow margins started to reaccelerate to the upside, but I don't look, I don't see that happening. So Obviously, when you cut prices, you hope that you're going to see the commensurate demand on the other side. So you cut prices by whatever, and then hope you see the demand at least offset that or obviously improve that. And I don't think that personally, I don't think that's happening here. So if you start seeing margins getting down into, you know, low 17s, high 16s, I think that's a bit of a problem here. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. We, we talked about Texan and Dan but real quick. Yeah. Let's just pull up a Texas Instruments truck because on Fast Money last night, I said that the guide was a disaster and I was surprised the stock wasn't lower than it was. And, you know, again, it just goes to show you the market's really not punishing companies on, on a, in a meaningful way uh, in terms of the guide. I'll say this, and I said it last night, you know, Texas Instruments is everything XAI. So what Texan said last night was more autos, what we just talked about and industrials. But if you start playing it forward, I mean, those things speak to our economy is not AI. Our economy is everything to a certain extent that Texas Instruments guided to. So you have to be somewhat curious, at least, as to what that means going forward for the economy. Yeah. And again, I, we talked about it a little bit last night. It, it is interesting that, you know, they're obviously very leveled, uh, as you meant, to industrials and autos. And, and that speaks to a part of the economy that, again, the jury's still out on, on how well we're doing. Um, you know, this brings me, Guy, to like FCX. This is Freeport. And, you know, this is obviously, um, you know, often tied to um, you know, in industrials and, 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 and basically, you know, the health of economies, Dr. Copper, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. what they, uh, they're in the business of doing. Let's look at the two day chart of FCX reported last night. The headlines look pretty decent. Um, stock is off its highs right here. Um, guy, you know, this is one where I, I think it's, it's kind of interesting. It had that initial gap and let's go back to the one year chart. You see what's going on here. So, you know, what, 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 what's your takeaway here? Nice little bounce, but still kind of stuck. You know what I mean? Is there any any takeaways in, in yeah. anything that you want to add to what, you know, Texas Instruments had to say about their end markets? Well, I mean, if you look at the, first, you know, if Carter was here or were here, he would say this is a pair of twos right now. So what yeah. you're looking for over the last, you know, year and a half or so are opportunities when it gets extended to the upside, which is around 45 bucks a share. You can sort of eyeball it and see. And on the downside, when it gets down to about 33 or bucks a share. So here, you're sort of, I would submit, you're probably in no man's land and getting close to levels where the last couple of years, at least, it's been resistant. So I don't glean necessarily every anything because every time I thought Freeport McMoran was off to the races in the same way I thought maybe in Alcoa, it's disappointed in the same way where it looks like it's been left for dead, it sort of gets off the map. But at current levels, there's not a lot to take away. What I will tell you, though, is if you want to pull up a 
real-time chart of the TLT. I don't know what just happened in the half hour we've been here, but 10-year yields have moved up to almost 4.16% intraday, which I think is interesting. You know, We have conversation about yields seemingly every day. The TLT has sold off in the last few minutes, and I don't want to say in a pretty meaningful way, but you know, it's the weakness is noted, I would think. So just keep an eye on yields today, too. Um, 4.15 in the 10-year, I think is interesting, Dan. Yeah, and, and again, we're going to be, you know, we got the Fed next week, you know, Jan, Jan 31. And, you know, we have a 10-year that um, it seems, uh, you know, it, it seems stuck above this 4%. And, you know, we've been highlighting Fed fund futures and what the probability of a rate cut looks like really, you know, out the door for Jan, um, but what it means uh, in March. And it looks like it's a coin flip right now. So, um, you know, we, we seem to be in a stagflationary environment guy. And I just, that's the one thing it brings me back to what's going on in the markets. Um, let's throw up that SMH. I know we spent some time talking about NVIDIA, but look at an AMD, you know, which is powering a bunch of the gains now trading at new all-time highs. Look at that move in the SMH. You know, we, we just talked about the mag six, you know, and what's going on with those names, um, they are total disregard for yields, mm-hmm. for geopolitics, for domestic politics here. And, 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 you know, that's going to dominate a lot of our conversations, you know, uh, starting really soon from, from here on out through the end of um, the year or so. It just seems like we're in a melt up period guy that seems very unhealthy to me right now. Listen, you know my view on this. I, there's obviously something that I'm completely missing in terms of the semi-trade where valuations seemingly don't matter and people are putting a lot of stock into total addressable markets and basically this sort of seismic shift in what's going on over the world, which I totally get. But also say this, and you've seen it before, I mean, chips have a way of becoming commoditized very quickly. So the margins you're enjoying now in the infancy stages are not the same margins you're going to enjoy as this industry becomes more and more, I guess, mature. So just something to keep in mind. But again, you know, people will say, ah, you know, you're just not paying attention. I, I understand that I'm not paying attention. And this move clearly has caught me off sides. But we've seen similar before. And I'm not certain this ends the same way people think it's going to end. Well, hold, hold on. Catching you off sides. I mean, look at what's gone on here in the SMH. I mean, this is this is a move. Just look at this. You know, look at that chart. I mean, yeah, there's been a couple like very parabolic moves, but this is on nothing fundamental here. This is just literally a crowding in the new year into the stuff that has worked. And that to me is not different guy than other periods in which you and I have seen, you know, these massive secular shifts. And I'll just say a couple of things. I had Gene Munster um, with me yesterday on OK Computer. We have a great slide, by the way. Look at that. Oh, look at that. Look at Gene. He's all geeked up right there. Um, We talked about all of this sort of stuff, about sentiment towards these names, about how he's positioning in AI. And actually, he has some really interesting views about some of the stuff that worked last year might not be the things that really outperform for the next leg. So tune into that. We also previewed, um, you know, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, um, and Meta that all report next week. And we also previewed Tesla um, that obviously reports tonight. So that dropped in the podcast stores. Go follow that at OK um, Computer, wherever you find your podcast. Also, the video is on YouTube. So check that out. Guy, is it time? Should we take It some- is time. And I got them in front of me. Are you doing? We have a lot of audience questions. So let's get into the first one. 
Jay Luther is asking, and Amanda's going to pull this up. My stock question is, how does Eli Lilly continue to skyrocket? Well, you know, this is a money flow thing, and it's both been both Eli Lilly and Amgen sort of neck and neck. And I'll throw Novo Nordisk in as well. I think Melissa Lee, by the way, I don't know if I'm um, breaking any news here, but she's working on something that's going to address and I think answer a lot of the questions here. Eli Lilly, I want to be crystal clear. I mean, this is a stock. Go even longer term, Amanda, if you want. I mean, this is a stock that on Fast Money, if you watch, we've talked about for years. And we were talking about Eli Lilly long before anybody ever heard of GLP-1s and sort of the ramifications around that. It's just basically best in breed in big cap pharma. It's also now a company that has grown to a market cap of $600 billion, which makes it the largest uh, big cap pharma stock out there, I think, or maybe the second, but definitely one or two. I also point out that along the way, this stock has given you opportunities on the downside. So it hasn't, as much as it looks like, Dan, it's been a straight line higher, it has not been. There have been periods of time where this stock has, I'll, I'll use the word, cratered. You've seen 25, 30% downdrafts in this stock, only to have investors and traders come back in. So I love the name. I think it's one of those periods of time where you're probably setting up for a similar type of move to the downside. So a 25% move here would be, I don't know, about 130 or so dollars, which gets you back to 500. That's not out of the realm of possibility, given what we've seen before here. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, I, you, this is a name that you have loved for years. I've sat next to you on Fast Money for years, and you've been a buyer on any meaningful dip. And the GLP-1 story is really just been kind of the icing on the cake over the last 18 months or so. And it's interesting, last March, if we just want to pull up a one-year chart, I mean, this was not even really in the story back then, right? When you think about it, so this, this is a $600 billion market cap company expected to grow earnings this year in 2024, nearly 100%, and then 45% in 2025, trading about 35 times that. And it's not just a GLP-1 story. The pure play is really the Novo Nordisk, and that's nearly a half a trillion dollars in market cap. So when you think about these two companies and the market cap that they have been able to achieve because of this one drop, Rug, Novo is much more tied to GLP-1s and mm -hmm. what comes next with a lot of these trials for these advanced drugs that are like meant to kind of attack some other diseases other than diabetes and obesity and the like. Um, so that's going to be the story of 2024. Um, but I'm kind of with you, even with this Lily, it's, it kind of reminds me guy a little about what we were talking about with the Netflix and the Tesla and this consolidation after a big gap. So I think there's levels in which you probably want to add to it um, as long as they don't actually have a headline that comes out that these things cause cancer. And, and I don't mean to shed light on that. There are negative take bombs that could come out as they start trying these drugs for other sorts of ailments. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, there are risks to these stories and they're very concentrated in and around the GLP-1s, but Lilly has a lot of other exposure, Alzheimer's and the like, uh, away from them. Meanwhile, as, as you've been answering, I've been reading. So the five-year auction, which came out, dealers basically got stuck uh, with as much inventory as they have. I think it was September of 2021. I think Peter Bookvar just put out a note. So that's one of the reasons, you know, we addressed the bond move about mm -hmm. 10, 10 or so minutes ago. That's the reason why. Next question, and we answered it to a certain extent, but he's with us every day. So I'll pull up. Matrix of Compassion is asking, with NVIDIA being so overbought, the RSI is now north of 85, which I didn't see, but thank you. Is it finally a good bet to short NVIDIA? Well, look, 
you can read his question. I, I don't think we've ever advocated shorting it outright. And if we have, I apologize. I, well, I, I have. Okay. But, so, but, okay. So anyway, but, but here you go. So I guess the better question is if you're long the stock, you know, are we getting towards levels where you should be thinking about taking profits or doing something? But this is what I'll say. If you've enjoyed the run higher, if you do nothing here, and let's say NVIDIA is down whatever over the next couple of days, you, you've effectively become paralyzed. So you, I, when stocks get to levels like this, mm-hmm. it's incumbent upon you to do something, whether that's sell a quarter, third, half the position, put protection, although it's probably um, expensive at this point, it's incumbent upon you to do something. Because if you do nothing and the stock moves against you, then you're going to be paralyzed. So to answer your question, yeah, I think you have to act here. Yeah. So when I said, you know, obviously our listeners knew I, I took a couple cracks at it on the short side via puts last year. Um, you know, a couple of times did not work out particularly well. One time it did, um, but it did not. I, I definitely lost money in the stock last year, despite being positively disposed to the story. I just want to just to your point, Guy, about put protection. So this company and when I made that bullish call when the stock was 490 a, a few weeks ago, my view was that their biggest customers are all going to report at the end of January. And you're going to want to own it into that. And we have the tape and go back and you can look at it. Um, We ran it um, from Fast Money and we ran it here um, on Market Call. So if their biggest customers are Meta and Alphabet and Amazon and all those, and they're all reporting, owning into that was my point. So the company is not going to report their own earnings until the end of February. Okay. So now if you look at this, so I'm looking at March 600 puts. Okay, guys. So the stock right here is 625. The March 600 puts are offered at about $25. Okay. So think about that. If you were to buy those, okay, so we can just do this math. Okay. That's 4% of the stock price. Okay. They don't break even until down 8%. They break even down at 575. So if you were to buy the March 600 puts and pay $25 for them, you actually need the stock to go to 575 just to break even. So that's down 8%. So that is that is a really expensive way, right, to hedge a position depending upon where you bought it. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, we talk about implied moves, we talk about options, we talk about, you know, what you're trying to protect and what you're trying to achieve. Trading options like that is a really, really hard way to make money, guy. No doubt about it. You know, and I'll say this, and and you're right, the, the math is exactly right. If in fact it starts moving that way in a precipitous fashion, you know, you're gonna you're gonna catch a break on volatility is gonna start to work in your advantage as well. But yeah. that's sort of advanced stuff that I won't get into. Well, but just on a very the very basic term, you buy it for 50 bucks at 625. You break even at 575. That's the math. Well, you buy it for 25. The 600 strike for 25 breaks even at 575. It's $50 out of the money. Hey, what, one thing I'd say, and I detailed this on Fast Money last night. Uh, I don't know if you were paying attention, Guy, um, but we were talking about um, Tesla. And I was saying that one thing, you know, if you were long the stock, you could, okay, taking advantage of, you know, basically high options premiums, you could sell an out of the money call which would give you the right to participate in gains of the stock up to that short call strike. And then you could actually take that call premium that you took in by selling that call and buying a downside put. So you could essentially collar your stock. So you would have gains up to the short call strike, and then you'd have losses down to the long put strike, but you'd be protected below that. That's a strategy in NVIDIA. 
that would make a lot of sense, especially as we head into earnings next week of some of their biggest competitors. And maybe we'll detail a collar trade for NVIDIA folks later on in the week. Let's take a look at the next question, which is from Gary Webb. WTI quietly moving above its 50-day moving average thoughts. Um, we, we talk about crude seemingly every day. We can talk about crude chart. You know, we mentioned yesterday, I think, that crude has started going into a bit of a backwardation, which is typically historically bullish. Um, you know, we've pressed a number of times on the downside. You actually mentioned that very quietly a series of higher lows, which is encouraging. And here we are. So I still, you know, you know what I believe, you know, I still believe in the crude story. And more importantly, I think I still believe in the underlying equity story. You thought a name like Marathon Petroleum, MPC, which has basically been flatlining right around its all time high for a while here. I think that's interesting. So there have been some names that have held in there relatively well. There've been some other names, not so much, but Yes, Gary, I think it's important that you pointed out crude does seem to be on the move. We'll see if this one lasts because it hasn't over the last six months or so. Yeah, yesterday um, on Market Call, we talked about crude, and I think you and I were both in agreement. It seems like technically poised um, for a bit of a test, maybe of that 200-day moving average that we were looking at. It was probably, what, 77 and a half, maybe a move back towards 80. That was that breakdown level um, from early November. But we'd want to keep a fairly tight stop on it, right, guys? So we were talking about a 72 and a half stop. And as this, you know, the crude keeps moving higher, you'd want to move that stop, at least if you're trading the futures in that regard. So again, our levels would be a breakout in and around this kind of 76 and a half level, playing for a retest of that 200 day just to get things going and then possibly uh, back towards 80. But I will say this, given everything that's gone on in the Middle East and given everything that's gone on in the Red Sea, obviously, um, and tensions in and around, you know, China, it seems like, you know, I don't know, they're floating. I, I know this sounds crazy guy trial balloons again in and around, you know, Taiwan, you've seen that, um, that crude's not higher. It's just very odd to me. Mm -hmm. I agree. I listen, you know where I stand. Uh, and you, and you're right to point it out. GDX questions. A lot of people asking, so let's take a look at GDX. This is what I'll say quickly. If you go and look, 27-ish has been support a number of times since, I want to say, February of last year. 27 has been a level that we bounced off of. Here's what's interesting to me. The all-time high in the GDX, believe it or not, was made way back in 2011. Not that that's necessarily important, but I pointed out, because I think at its high, this was like a $70 or so item. Now, with, with gold effect, and I'm saying in air quotes, basically at its around its all-time high, and this is being one-third of its all-time high in terms of the GDX, there's obviously something going on. The miners do not perform. And I think a large part, it's because equity investors are like, I don't want to get smoked again in the gold market. It's happened too many times. I am not going to buy mining stocks until gold basically proves itself. And I think a lot of people don't believe that that's happened yet. I do believe in gold. And if gold does break out to the upside, I think the knee-jerk reaction in miners is going to catch people off guard. But with that said, I've thought that for a while. So I think what's happening is the equity world is saying you got to prove yourself and the miners have not been able to do so. Now it's incumbent upon the commodity to do it. I think the commodity will. So almost by, defini by definition, Dan, I think the mining stocks are cheap. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe we can pull up a gold chart of the futures here. Um, we're just above 2,000. That 200-day moving average guy is uh, 1967 or so. And I look at that and I say, well, it's broken the uptrend. Um, it feels a bit heavy, right? Um, we know what's going on in the dollar of late a little bit as you know, yields have come in a little bit. It just, it, you know, this one, <clears throat> it feels heavy to me. And I thought your discussion of GDX is really interesting. Um, and I know that a lot of folks like to play the miners for the beta. Um, but I, I like the GDX as an instrument um, in, in playing this kind of directionally. So I'd almost see, let's see how it gets... Yeah, let's see how it trades if it gets that 200-day moving average, holds it, and then there's a reason for gold to start rallying again because that might be um, a reason to kind of buy the GDX down there. Last one before we get out of here, Hugh Hadley asking thoughts on Oracle. That's a pretty straightforward question. Oracle, you know, three, four months ago was making an all-time high, only then cascade lower. I will tell you, having not looked at it for a while, it's held $100 a couple times. That's been support. I don't know if Amanda's going to throw a chart up or not. There you go. You'll see where we held. And now we're sort of back on the back on the horse. The problem, of course, is, and Dan will point this out, so I'll beat him to the punch. The last two quarters, the stock has been disastrous in terms of moves to the downside. So it bodes the question, you know, what are you setting yourself up for into this next quarter? I don't know the answer. I still think Oracle is relatively cheap compared to some of its peers. I do think they've figured things out, but the tape bombs that have come on the back of earnings, Dan, have not been good. Yeah. And you know what? It's a great example. And we'll just bookend this entire show with this because we started with some fairly expensive stuff that that investors are crowding into. And, and here's a stock to your point. It was making all-time highs, you know, not long ago. But those two consecutive gaps lower, you know, are, are situations where they're just not growing nearly as fast, whether it be cloud and some of these other SaaS businesses and what they're doing organically um, with AI and generative AI in particular. Um, so the stock getting all geeked up, you know, in, in front of their results, which aren't going to come for weeks here, you know, and you want to say it's a value play, you know, like not you, I'm just saying in general, it's an easy way to look at this thing. It's expected to, you know, grow earnings and sales, high single digits. It's trading about 19 times next fiscal year. You'd say that's cheap, but this is not an innovator. This is a roll up of a company. Mm -hmm. And so you tell me what they're going to buy next and that's where their growth's going to come from, but it's not organic growth. And, and, you know, when they don't grow in the areas where they state they're going to through multi-billion dollar acquisitions, that's when you get those sort of earnings gaps, you know, post the, so I, I'd be a seller of this thing here too. I don't, I'm not, uh, not a fan. We appreciate the questions. We have to sort of 5,000, but I'll say this. Check out Dan's conversation on OK Computer with Gene Munster. We'll throw that slide up again because it is, you know, Gene is one of the top people for the last couple decades. So he's worth listening to for sure. Uh, we all have our Instagram accounts, Risk Reversal Instagram account, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami. Follow us on all the various platforms. You definitely should subscribe to our YouTube channel, Growing by the Day. We're hoping to sort of surpass 100,000 in the foreseeable future. That's a goal that we all want to make together. want to thank uh, Backset. I want to thank Dan Nathan. So the whole group, Dan, I want to thank everybody. Yeah. We'll be back tomorrow. Yeah, well, well, we will be back to follow guy.adami on the Insta. He's going to start putting out some pretty fire sort of content there. And we obviously want to say thanks SoFi. You know, Liz Young is usually with us uh, on Wednesdays, but she's, uh, you know, she's doing some important stuff. So she's not there. So you can get your money right all in one app. Uh, I know Liz is probably doing that right now, guy. 
By the way, conference coming up in April, late April, into May for SoFi that the two of us will be at. We're in the planning stages now, along with SoFi. As a matter well, of fact, fact set, actually, fact oh, set. Well, did I say so? I'm sorry. I meant yeah. fact set. There's a fact set conference coming up the end of May and end of April into May. We're at it, their offices on Friday of last week. That's going to be exciting. So be on the lookout for some um, teases on that front as well, Dan Nathan. Yeah, Fact Set Focus 2024 in Miami. That's going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun. All right, guys, thanks a lot. Thanks to all the questions. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks for you guys for being here. We'll see you here tomorrow. Uh-huh.